When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Group Text. My guest today has movie star looks, a film geek's brain, a permanent tan from hanging out all those years on the red carpet. He is a host on Turner Classic Movies as well as the awards correspondent for Entertainment Weekly and someone I love and adore and have been friends with for about, oh, a thousand years. We're going to talk about all things Oscar with my friend Dave Carker. Good, good day, Dave. Nice to see you. You know what? One of the reasons I'm excited to talk to you is that once I hang up this conversation with you, I'm done. Oh, see, and I'm, I'm not. Done. <laughs> 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 will be over officially, and then I literally have an Emmy event tonight. I don't. I can't even get into that. But we're going to start off with a new game. We're calling oh. it Rosebud Thorn. Rose is something you loved about the Oscars. Bud is something new, and Thorn is something you didn't like. So let's start okay. with Rose. I, I know my three answers already. Okay, hit the it. Rose, the Rose for me was the kind of the overall spirit of the show, and largely that's because of Jimmy Kimmel. I think the show coming after last year where it just felt so ugly because of reasons that we all know, this year had a generosity to it. It was funny, but it also was just like nice and supportive and inclusive. And I, I credit the winners, but I also credit Jimmy Kimmel. I, my, when people have asked me, I've said it's, it was joyful. Yes. Great. Joyful. My, my bud is not to, not to the, the song that won, because I'll be honest, I was kind of like, Oh, this song is going to win. Oh, like it should be Lady Gaga. But then and I had heard the composer give a speech at another show and it was like long winded and I was I was not feeling it. But then when they performed and just killed it and then when he gave that speech and sang along to Top of the World by the Carpenters, I was like, I love you now. Yeah. So that's my buddy. I have a new appreciation that I didn't necessarily. And now I want to like download not to not to on my phone and have it because I just love it. And I love the dancing. Oh, it was like an old it felt like you were at the theater. Yes. Yes. My thorn with respect to the winners was the results in the actor and actress leading categories. I, I'm glad that finally someone other than Halle Berry won Best Actress who was not a white actress. So that's nice and great for Michelle Yeoh. But come on. How can Kate Blanchett not have won? How can anyone have seen that movie, regardless of how much you like everything everywhere all at once? How can you watch Tar? Even if you think it's too brainy and weird, how can you not think that Kate Blanchett deserves an Oscar? And I have a hunch that probably people felt like they wanted to vote for her, but because she already has two Oscars, she didn't win. And come on, how could Colin Farrell not have won for Best Actor? And I just think that the sometimes the voters are blinded by the makeup and the transformation and something like that will win over what I think is a better true performance uh, by Colin Farrell and the Banshees of Inner Sharon. Just my opinion. Right. I loved Colin Farrell, but I loved 
Brendan Fraser, for you, for me, those two were toss ups. Yep. You know, one was the most amazing performance Brendan Fraser has ever given in his life, and that he was able to act through all the prosthetics. But Colin Farrell knocked it out of the park. Yes. So, yeah. So for me, I mean, this is going to happen when there's 10 Best Picture nominees, but the fact that five of the 10 Best Picture nominees, The Banshees of Inisherin, Tar, The Fablemans, Elvis, and Triangle of Sadness all went home with nothing, while Everything Everywhere All at Once, a very good movie, wins seven Oscars, by the way, the same amount as Lawrence of Arabia and Schindler's List. I think even the makers of that film would argue that might be a little much. <laughs> yeah. And this movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once, is only the third movie ever in the history of the Oscars to win three acting Oscars. The other two were A Streetcar Named Desire and Network. Again, great winners. I was happy for all of them. It just seemed a little overkill for me. What about the one that I didn't see coming at all was All Quiet on the Western Front? Well, that was a movie that people like me who kind of study these things and predict these things, we weren't really talking about it in the early part of the season in September, October, even November. It was a movie that was largely off the radar. But then when the BAFTAs, which is the British Academy Awards, when they released what's called their long lists, which is a semifinal group of nominees before their actual nominees come out. And that movie, All Quiet on the Western Front, got the most kind of semifinal mentions. People kind of started sitting up and thinking, huh, is there something here? Then when the actual BAFTA nominations came out, it got 14 nominations, like way more than any other movie. So this is a movie that Netflix, which is the, the company behind it, they weren't even sure what they had. If you talk to the Netflix people early in the award season and you were to say to them, which I did, hey, what are you bullish on that you guys have in your slate this year? They said to me, Pinocchio, which did end up winning. And Glass Onion, which ended up only getting one nomination for screenplay. Right. They were on those two. I think they thought they had a fine movie in All Quiet on the Western Front, but this was essentially a movie that was like made for German TV. Yeah. But then Netflix picked it up and it's brilliant. It's so brilliant. So so I was telling people like when I was doing predictions on the talk last Mm -hmm. week and that movie came up, I said to the audience, just if you're doing an Oscar pool, All Quiet on the Western Front is your secret weapon. Put it in there for some of the craft categories like, you know, cinematography. I actually thought it was going to win for sound, but Top Gun beat it. Um, So it did end up winning for Oscars. You know, it's just a movie that I think people who work in the film industry looked at and said, wow, this is fine cinema. This is really good, but not as kind of esoteric brainy as something like Tar, which I think was too smart for its own good, unfortunately, even though it's my favorite of the 10 Best Picture nominees. I think it was too smart for its own good as to, to actually win an Oscar. And what I'm realizing in the past couple of years is that you have to thread this needle. Yeah, You have to be critically acclaimed, but not too much. And that's why Coda beat The Power of the Dog. That's why Green Book beat Roma. You know, you have to be a movie that has some acclaim, but also speaks to the voters' hearts you can't be the critical darling, the, the movie that's too smart, because then you won't win the big one. You just brought up Cape Blanchett. There was a big story that not a lot of people know who are outside of the industry that went on with, uh, what was it called? Uh, uh, Hello, Leslie. Oh, to Leslie. To Andrew Leslie. Rodman. Can you explain that to people? Because a lot of people were complaining that they went through a loophole 
But I have to say something. When actors who are also nominated in the same category are saying that this is the movie that should win Best Actress, you have to sit up and, and take note. Yes. So Andrea Riseborough, this wonderful British actress who's been in a ton of stuff, by the way, yeah. she delivered this great performance in a small movie called To Leslie. It did play at South by Southwest. It did come out in October. It literally made $27,000 at the box office. Nobody went to see it. She got a spirit, independent spirit nomination for Best Actress, but the company, Momentum, had no money to spend on an awards campaign. Zero. So they weren't able to put out ads, to throw events, to throw parties, the stuff that Netflix and Warner Brothers and Universal, everyone else does. What they were able to do, they were able to scrounge together enough money. And I think with the help of Andrea herself and maybe the filmmaker, this guy, Michael Morris, they were able to scrounge together $20,000. That's how much money you need to spend in order to get your movie on what's called the Academy Awards portal. That's like a, it's like a private Netflix app that the Academy members are able to download. And that's how they watch all the potentially nominated movies on their TV. There's no more DV screen or DVDs really anymore. This is how the Academy members watch their movies on this portal. So they were able to spend the $20,000 bare minimum needed to get the movie at least eligible to get a nomination. Okay. But because they had no money, Mary McCormack, who's an actress, people know her from the movie Private Parts, the Howard Stern movie, you know, from the late 90s. She is the wife of Michael Morris, the director of To Leslie. They started this kind of grassroots campaign. Hey, Howard Stern, watch this movie that my husband uh, directed. You might like it. He watched it, thought it was great, started talking about it. Hey, Jennifer Aniston, Edward Norton, Jane Fonda, Sarah Paulson, all these people that we know. Would you watch this movie? And if you like it, would you consider tweeting about it or hosting a screening or hosting a Zoom or putting it on Instagram? Well, Andrea Riseborough was so good in the movie that it worked. And all of these different people started this essentially grassroots right. campaign. And it got to the point where close to the nominations announcement, I was like looking at all these different posts and thinking to myself, if all of these people who are in the actor's branch of the Academy, there's about 1,200 people in the branch, if you if she could get about 200 of those people to put her number one on their ballots, if they were going to put their votes where their mouths are, she's going to get nominated. So I actually ended up predicting her to get an Oscar nomination, and she got it. Um, the problem is, on some of the Instagram posts from the movie's Instagram account, and also from Frances Fisher, this one actress from her account, they did a no-no, which is that they mentioned other actresses in contention by name. And Frances Fisher said something like, hey, everybody, make sure you vote Andrea number one because Kate Blanchett's a lock for a nomination. Viola Davis is a lock for a nomination. You can't do that. You can only tout your person. You can't say anything about another person. So that's the problem. And that's when the nomination came out the, all the headlines made it seem like it was this horrible thing that was done. I mean, it's unfortunate because her nomination meant that Viola Davis and Daniel Deadweiler did not get in, but she deserved a nomination. I would argue Daniel Deadweiler did too, over someone like Ana de Armas from Blonde, but that's just my opinion. Um, but the ultimate irony is that right when the nomination, when the balloting was out for the people to choose the winners, Michelle Yeoh did something similar. Really? And she put a screen grab on her Instagram of an article from Vogue.com that said, if Kate Blanchett were to win, it would be great, but she already has two. So 
if Michelle Yeoh were to win, she would now be Academy Award winner Michelle Yeoh. And how great would that be? So she put that up on her Instagram while she took it down instantly, because I think she was told by someone in her camp, you got to take that down. So she ended up actually doing the same thing that the Andrea Riseborough people did. No one really did anything horrible. But also it's with the, the Andrea with the Andrea Riseborough, you can't get mad at Francis because she didn't know she was doing something wrong. I mean, she should, if these people really should know the in, they, I mean, they I wouldn't know that. Off, but how would they know? I right, wouldn't exactly. know that. That's why they didn't take the nomination away. The, what I, the, the thing that I have a problem with is that the vast majority of people who kind of casually follow this don't know everything that we just said. Right. All they saw was controversial nomination, Andrea Riseborough, and it has it's it's tainted and it shouldn't be because it didn't it's the optics are not great that the one of these posts said, oh, don't worry, Viola Davis is a lock. And then Viola Davis didn't get nominated. But you can't it's it's kind of like. Remember in math class, I used to say correlation is not causality. This didn't cause, you know, Viola Davis. For all we know, Ana de Armas is the one that pushed Viola Davis out. And Andrew Riseborough was number four or number three, you know, above Michelle Williams, even maybe, maybe Michelle Williams is the one that pushed them out. So it, it was just unfair because Andrea Riseborough was the one who came out of nowhere. So she's the one who was perceived to have knocked out these other actresses who happened to be black. And I think that's where it didn't sit well with people. And people said, oh, look at Andrea Riseborough. She had all these connections that someone like Daniel Deadweiler did not have. And because of that, she got the nomination. So that's the part I think that didn't sit well with, with some people, but um, it was a deserved nomination. And anyone who hasn't seen that movie too, Leslie, it's available to stream. It's great. Yeah. You, you brought up Viola Davis, which was one of the big snubs. Who else do you, and, and, and Daniel... Who else was snubbed? I mean, I would make the case that Tom Cruise deserved a nomination for Best Actor. That, But at the same time, the person who kind of, quote unquote, got the slot over Tom Cruise was Paul Meskel from After Sun, who was terrific. So, but I was kind of thinking that he might get in there. Um, Jeremy Pope from The Inspection didn't get nominated. I thought he was great. The women from the movie Women Talking, no one from that movie got nominated. Claire Foy or Jesse Buckley. So those were the ones that, you know, kind of stuck. Eddie Redmayne, I thought was really good. And the good nurse, he didn't get. An, oh, do you know who I think was overlooked? Who? And I'm a huge fan of Tar. And we, as I already said, Nina Haas, who played Kate Blanchett's wife in Tar. I thought she was excellent. Um, so I thought she was going to get in there, too. This episode is sponsored by Via Hemp. Ah, uh, yes, summer, longer days, warmer nights, and the incessant chirping of crickets. Reminding you that sleep is a precious commodity. Whether you need to set the mood in the bedroom or just unwind after a day battling the sun, Vaya has your back. Enter their Rest and Recovery Gummies, a magical concoction of passion flower, L-theanine, and cannabinoids designed to lull you into a state of blissful tranquility. With options for both the THC tolerant and the THC shy, Vaya ensures you'll find your perfect dosage for achieving peak comfort. Vaya isn't just about taming the sleep monsters. They've got a whole array of gummies to cater to every whim and fancy with or without THC. And they'll discreetly ship their goodies straight to your doorstep, no matter which of the 50 states you call home. Just sit back, relax, and let Vaya work its magic. 
So if you're 21 plus, you can get 15% off a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code. Head to viahemp.com and use the code GROUPTEXT to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com, V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. So I have tried their Zen gummies, and I got to tell you, they are amazing. I live in a very sort of continual stressed out state from work to being a mom to, well, just life in general. And the Zen gummies have been amazing for me. Head to viahemp.com and use the code GROUPTEXT to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies, 21 plus. That's viahemp.com, V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P. Dot com and use the code group text at checkout enhance your everyday with via hemp. I felt other than movies like Elvis and everything and, and then I'm not talking the best picture category I'm sort of focusing specifically on the acting categories there weren't big blockbuster films in the acting categories it, I felt like it was very an actor's actor uh, group. You're right. I mean, if you look at the two movies that were nominated for Best Picture that made a ton of money, Avatar and Top Gun, no acting nominations there. What I did like, however, about this group of acting nominees is that there was diversity mm-hmm. and there and there were 16 out of the 20 were first time nominees. And by saying that they were first time nominees doesn't mean they're all Brian Maybe. Tyree Henry or Austin Butler or Hong Chow people on their way up. It's Jamie Lee Curtis. It's Bill Nye. It's Michelle Yeoh, it's people who have been around, Brendan Fraser even, people who had been around, Colin Farrell, who had been around for a very long time, but only were now getting their first Oscar nomination. And I do think that's also pretty cool. And one interesting stat is that for the first time ever, I'm almost positive this is true, all four of the acting winners were over the age of 50. And I like that. They were all first-time Oscar nominees over the age of 50. So Kiwi Kwan and Brendan Fraser are both in their 50s. Michelle Yeoh and Jamie Lee Curtis are both in their 60s, which is also great yeah. when you think about her actresses are usually like put out to pasture by the time they're 40. Um, so I did like that aspect of things, that it, it was this kind of night to celebrate these veterans who were getting their first Academy recognition, even as nominees. So you bring up an interesting point and it goes back to even with like, uh, what was it? Al Pacino winning for scent of a woman rather than, you know, rather than his past work that you're almost giving it to him because you need to, to make up for everything else. And I, I felt there was a bit of that. With who? Uh, uh, Michelle Yeoh, I felt like, and Jamie Lee Curtis, I felt they were both lifetime achievements and well-deserved and yeah. good enough performances to be nominated. I think, yeah, I think that would have been the case really if Angela Bassett had won. Yeah. Oh, for sure. If Angela Bassett, they would have been giving it to her from back in what's love what's got the, to do with it. Right. Which she should have won. She should have won. Um, but right. But yeah, so I'm I'm of two minds about that. I mean, part of me looked at the Jamie Lee Curtis win as a lifetime, but for what? I mean, maybe Fish Call Wanda she could have been nominated for, but I don't think there's that what's love got to do with the kind of performance that where she was totally unfairly overlooked. I think this was a really great turn by her. But I see what you're saying though. 
You know, it, it felt it felt that way. The Brendan Fraser. What I also loved about the evening was because of the people who are winning. The level of emotion was so genuine. Yeah. I mean, you saw Brendan Fraser sitting there going, "What?" We well, saw Jamie uh, Lee Curtis' mouth shut up. Shut up. Right. I thought she was saying, "Oh shit!" or "Holy shit!" And I, then I saw this. Sh- I, right. But you know what added to that? And now, in hindsight, of course, we can say, "Of course, those four were going to win." Duh. Right. But if you look at the movies that led up to the Oscars, particularly the two that have overlap with the Oscars voting body, the SAG Awards and the BAFTAs, which is the British version, in all four of the acting races, there were different winners in SAG and BAFTA. There was no person who won this year in the acting races, SAG and BAFTA. So for all four races, it was a not really Kihui Kwan, even though Barry Keoghan won the BAFTA. Everyone knew Kihui Kwan was going to win. But for the other three... It was either Angela or Jamie Lee. It was either Kate or Michelle. And it was either Austin, Colin or Brendan. Like, so there was real suspense in the results, which added to the emotion that you're talking about. Yeah, it was such it it was a a lovely emotional show. Um, But there was a lot of surprises in who didn't win anything. What Elvis got one. Zero. Zero. I mean, that's the stuff that I picked up on was that got zero. Angela Bassett. There were a lot of films that, I mean, there were two major runaways. Uh, Fableman's got nothing. nothing. I thought, Sharon, nothing. Nothing. And I thought those two big time were going to be at least in there for screenplay and at least those kind of awards. And yep. yet, nothing. I don't remember I seeing a runaway like that in a long time. No, and that's why that's why I started this show off by saying it was a bit excessive for me. I actually predict I mean, my predictions were pretty crummy, 16 out of 23, because I had Elvis winning four Oscars. So I got those four wrong. Um, But also but I actually had predicted the Banshees of Inisherin, which is my second favorite of the nominees next to Tar. I had actually predicted that was going to win nothing. And it made me sad to predict that. And I'm so sad that that prediction ended up being right, Um, because it's such a great, such a great movie. I mean, if. But come on, give everything everywhere all at once four instead of seven and spread the wealth amongst Tar and Banshees. I would have liked that. I would have been much happier if everything everywhere all at once had still won for Best Picture and Director and Kiwi Kwan and Jamie Lee Curtis. But instead of Michelle Yeoh, it would have been Kate Blanchett, so Tar had something. And instead of Screenplay, it went to Banshees, so that Banshees had something. That would have been a little bit more equitable and crowd-pleasing to this crowd of one. One of the things I also, and I mean, we're, we're, I'm talking so sort of just, extemporaneously with you. By the way, I cannot believe you referenced math class. Clearly I skipped that day, but that's a separate conversation. Um, Was entire casts were nominated with Banshees, with everything. There were entire casts. And you don't always see that, that the every acting is category is so strong that they're represented in every category. Yeah. Those two movies represented eight out of the 20 Oscar nominees for acting. That's I don't I I think you have to go back to the 70s to find a year where there were two movies that dominated the acting like that. I think I think Network and All the President's Men were the same year and they had something like eight or nine between them or something, too. So, yeah, that's it's pretty rare to to say the least, which I mean, that's great. But that just shows how terrific those two movies are. And again, one of the reasons why I'm sad that Banshees wasn't able to win anything. I always am amused when when movies won so much that people are running out of people to thank. 
Like then that's what was happening last night. Everyone think their mom, everyone's think their agent and they're going back to childhood friends. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, so last year we had the slap, which I thought Jimmy Kimmel handled great. He had just enough edgy material. He did a beautiful job. Um, They've gone back to very traditional. I like it. I agree. I, I It should be a, a show about Oscar history. It should have that sheen, that prestige. But at the same time, you know, Jimmy Kimmel saying something like, if, if you commit an act of violence on stage, you are going to be given best actor and you'll get to give a 19 minute speech. I mean, chiding them for, as he said, doing nothing yeah. last year and hugging the, the person. I mean, it was brilliant. It was yeah. brilliant. Um, how about the fact that nobody will remember this year's Oscars a week from now? Mm, well, maybe, but because there was such a domination, I think you, people will remember because, you know, just like they remember that, you know, Moonlight beat La La, La, La Land was such a big moment. I think the fact that this movie won seven Oscars like up there with these epic movies, I think people are going to remember much more than they remembered like Coda winning last year. Right. Well, and that I was going to go to that next on the red carpet and in the theater, they had sign language interpreters. I'm calling it the Coda effect. It's the Coda effect. And it's also the Marley Matlin is now on the board of governors of the Academy. Okay, see, I didn't know that. Yeah. So she was really the one who kind of pushed that through and um, she was pushing for it for last year and they didn't do it. And she kind of, you know, publicly groused about that. And they finally they finally did it. I mean, some of the interpreters, especially on the pre-show, were a little bit over the top, but it's a great I mean, listen, I feel like anything they can do like that doesn't take away from anything. And it, it makes the Oscars more enjoyable and accessible for, you know, a substantial part of the audience. I think it's cool. So do you think what winning an Oscar did for your career 20, 30 years ago, meaning better scripts, higher paydays, better tables at Spago, whatever came with that, is that still the case? Does it really make that much of an impact on people's career anymore? I think it depends on the winner. I mean, if you talk to Halle Berry and the way that she phrases it when she's given interviews about it, when she won her Oscar 20 years ago, she thought like the script truck was going to back up in her driveway and dump all these scripts. But what she realized is just because she won scripts for an actress like her, i.e. a black actress, were not being written. So it's not like if, if you're a white actress and you win best actress, you have you're at the top of the list for a big lump of scripts. If you're a black actress or an Asian actress who wins Best picture, you're at the top of a smaller mound of scripts. So, yeah, I'm sure Kiwi Kwan, who, you know, now famously didn't get SAG after a health insurance the year after he filmed Everything Everywhere All at Once because no one booked him for a job the year after he made that movie. That's going to change. He's now going to be thought of. He's now going to be doing more. He's now going to get parts that were written for white actors and that they're going to change because they're going to want him in there. But, the, you know, are, are things magically going to change? Are there now all of a sudden going to be tons of parts for actors and actresses over the age of 50 for these four who just won? No, there won't. You know, and, and the Oscars is all about staying relevant and young. And now with TikTok and Instagram and all their secondary venues, do you think the younger generation even cares? That's a great question. 
you know, and part of me, you know, I look at the pre-show where they have a TikToker on there backstage and I think, oh, is this, you know, is this pandering? Are they trying too hard? But my feeling is whatever they can do to make the Oscars appealing to a younger audience without losing the integrity of the movies that they nominate. Like if all of a sudden, you know, to all the girls I've loved before, whatever, to all the boys I love before, what's that? What are those movies that I don't watch? If all of a sudden those movies were getting nominated, like, you know, young adult movies just to pander to a young audience, then that would be a problem. But I do think the Academy is, the thing I love about the Oscars is that they're the great equalizer. You have these humongous billion dollar grocers alongside Triangle of Sadness and Women Talking and and to Leslie, you know, a $27,000 grossing movie is in the same show as a billion dollar grossing movie. So I think there's a lot of room for a lot of different movies. I do think that there they enough young people came to the Oscars. I think Austin Butler, Vanessa Hudgens, you know, the, the just the presence of people like that at the show, Lady Gaga, Rihanna helps. I, I agree. Um, I did like the, which I didn't think I was going to like the QR codes. I thought that was very smart. So if you want to learn you more, do it? did I actually do it? No, because I know th- what the, the answers to the questions they were supposed to be questioning, but I thought that was very smart. I think it's smart too. I think they ran into a problem with it once though, which is in the in memoriam. Oh yeah. You can't have that in the in memoriam. There shouldn't be two tiers. There shouldn't be, here's the, the a list in memoriam. And then for all the other people use the QR code and, and what has come out now, because there were some, some well-known people who well, were, by the way, well, they had to issue a statement after my mother was not included and people went crazy and said, Oh, well, she's on the online version. Yeah, that's not good. No. This year, I think the big omission was Paul Sorvino, Mira Sorvino's dad, a great actor in his own right. And what they've now and apparently he was on the QR code version, but that's not good. But apparently what they've come out and said is that each branch of the Academy gets a certain amount of slots in the televised in memoriam. So just because you're well known, you don't get a spot over an executive or an editor or an animator because each branch, they try to be equitable with the branches. Uh, I don't know about how I feel about that. I think if there's more, and and I don't know, I don't know if the actor's branch, I would imagine the actor's branch gets more than any other branch right. because there's people in the actor's branch and any other branch, but they, it shouldn't, they shouldn't have to do it that way. If, if that means Paul Sorvino or Anne H or Tom Sizemore are really recognizable people, then don't make it into the in memoriam, then they need to rethink that process. I also felt like it was a lot shorter than normal. I agree. I, Cause yes. And in fact, when it ended with uh, Walter Murish, who by the way is a great filmmaker who just passed away. He produced in the heat of the night, a best picture winner. Oh, yeah. When he was the last one of, of a certain block, I was like, oh, there's obviously going to be more. They're not going to end with him. And then the song ended. Lenny Kravitz's song ended. I went, holy cow, that's done. Certainly they left people out. And sure enough, they did. Uh, Two things really bothered me. And I don't know if it's because I'm an interesting, an industry person, or if I'm the only one that knows. Two things. One, people don't realize ABC is owned by Disney. And they didn't just run the Little Mermaid trailer. They introduced it with the star of the movie. I'm like, that was a little low rent as far as I'm concerned. I agree. However, they did make time for the 100th anniversary of Warner Brothers. Which was my second thing that annoyed me. They had (laughs) clips in that of movies that were not 
made by Warner Brothers, but distributed specifically Wizard of Oz and Singing in the Rain. Mm. And I had to go look those up because I'm like, those were MGM movies. And in it, it says, was distributed by. Mm. Yeah, and that's unfortunate because Warner Brothers has a ton of stuff. They could have easily just done it with movies that were produced by Warner Brothers. Hmm. All right. Look, I noticed something you didn't notice. That's that's good. Now, I have a question for you. Okay. What did you think of the best song nominee, Thames, and the outfit she wore? The cloud headdress that was dropped at Gorgeous, but blocked the view of the people sitting behind her. Um, wonderful for the red carpet. Rude to the people behind her. Usually when people wear a big hat, like Billy Porter says, it comes off in the theater. That piece should have either been detachable or been able to be ruched down. Why wouldn't that have been something that the stylists thought of or did they just not care? We're talking about it all today. I know, but... We're talk, but we're talking about someone who I didn't even know who it was. I didn't know who it was. I didn't know she, meanwhile, she has like a million Twitter followers. Right, but, but I am not a believer that all press is good press. I, I, think, I am not either. Right. Now, so what I, was your feeling on that it was a champagne carpet? Why, why, again, why, it's like what I always say about the Oscars and all these award shows and the specifically the red carpet. The plot is the same. The wheel is the wheel is a wheel. We can put a different hubcap on it. We can do whatever. The red, the pre-shows are people walking into a building. Right. Why do we think that changing the color of the carpet is going to make it different? And why champagne? And it was filthy at it the end. It wasn't dirty by the end. At the beginning, it was pretty, though. I didn't not mind it. Not for the dresses. Not for the any woman in white or light color standing behind that, in front of that white background, got completely washed out. Interesting. I mean, I personally am not a fan of the color red. It's just a color I don't want around me. I don't I don't like it. I don't have any red clothes, any red things in my house or my apartment. Um, so I was OK with not as much red, but I hear what you're saying. And that's something I hadn't thought of how it, how the clothes play off it. But not just that, but why? And they made such I, a deal of we're rolling out the champagne carpet. Maybe it was just like a little bit more of an understated elegant look and i thought it was more understated and elegant i, I didn't tell it was it. It, could you imagine what would have happened if it rained yeah i guess when there was just it was just a three-hour thing they didn't really care that bothered me beyond so we i want to go back to blockbusters and movies that are extremely popular within the general public but don't get nominated and they opened up uh best picture to be able to include these movies do you when when appropriate. When appropriate. Do you think it's made a difference? Do you think people care more? Or do you think people just, since COVID especially, don't care? I think it's made a negligible difference. I mean, I think, you know, it's important just to reiterate, it's not like there's 10 slots and three of them have to be for movies that made $500 million or more. It's just it opens it up to the possibility. And I think you can make the argument that if there had only been five Best Picture nominees, Avatar certainly would not have been nominated. Mm -hmm. Elvis probably would not have been nominated. Top Gun would have been on the bubble. I think in retrospect, you can say that if there had only been five, it would have been everything everywhere all at once, all quiet on the Western front. Banshees. The, the Fablemans and either Tar or Top Gun. 
You thought Top Gun was that good that it was going to get a nomination for Best Picture, even if there were only five. The director of Top Gun got a Director's Guild nomination, and there's only five slots. Um, the movie got six nominations overall. There was a period of time a few months ago where I thought that movie was like in striking distance to win Best Picture. Clearly, I was wrong. But there was a time, you know, where that movie, I thought it was like the Fablemans and Top Gun. This was before people knew about All Quiet and really before Everything Everywhere All at Once, which came out a year ago. Um, had its kind of big momentum, which started, you know, with the Guild Awards. It, I thought it was a, again, I go back to that. It felt very joyful. Nobody was trying to, I hate this term, young it up. Right. They just let it be. Do, do you True. Do you like that? But I felt because the movies felt, cur- I love that nobody got up there and made big political speeches. Yep, I like all that too, except for the Navalny people, but that was appropriate given the movie. What I find interesting about it is that despite the fact that we're talking about these four acting winners who are all in their 50s or 60s, the movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once, feels like a young, energetic, and what I've been saying all along and the reason I thought it was going to win in the last month is because it feels like the 21st century choice for Best Picture. It's kind of like Coda or Parasite or Moonlight, these movies that have more inclusivity in their storytelling, more diversity in what you see on screen. And a movie like The Fablemans or even The Banshees of Inisherin, while wonderful movies, are movies that arguably could have been made 30 years ago. Yeah. Everything Everywhere All at Once, that is a now movie. What was, your, I, oh, what was your biggest takeaway from the night? Just utter dominance of everything, everywhere, all at once. And then by extension, the studio that put that movie out, which is called A24, for your listeners, it's a very scrappy, young, cool studio. They won every single major award, picture, director, and all four of the acting races because they had everything, everywhere, all at once, and The Whale. And they also won for Moonlight a couple of years ago. They put out these cool movies and like it's a movie studio more than any other that has a real identity to it. You know, when it's an A24 movie, it's going to be like kind of a cool movie. And I think that's one of the, as far as the industry is concerned, that's the takeaway. But I think to your point, the takeaway was just the joyfulness of the night and just, and the great spirit of the night, particularly coming off, as I said, the ugliness of what everyone remembers from last year. Okay. Looking towards next year. What has already come out that's on your radar? As the siren goes by, um, nothing. Really? Nothing. I mean, we're only in the middle of March. Like, nothing's come out like Shazam, <laughs> Megan. I mean, I don't think we've seen anything that's an awards contender yet. I didn't go to Sundance, so I didn't, I don't know what's premiered. At, I didn't, I don't know what's premiered there. And then, you know, now what's going to happen is Cannes will be in May, Toronto and Telluride in Venice in August and September. And that's when it all starts again. But thank God from now, which is the middle of March until the middle of August, five months, we get to just kind of chill out. Except that you're going to an Emmy event tonight. Chill out when it comes to the movies. But yes, I am. (laughs) I am hosting an Emmy event tonight with with Elton John, which is kind of cool. That'll be fun. Dave Carter, I love you more than life itself. Love you too. Great to see you. A Huda Media Production.